morning we will continue and complete our study through or uh, in, in uh, Proverbs uh, about the way that the wisdom of God affects our life and the way that we are to be guided by it. And to that end, I want you to open your Bible to Proverbs chapter 13 today. So far, we have spoken of, learned of five different principles. Now, there certainly are are more than those uh, in the in the parable or in the proverbs, but uh, we've we've spent time. These have been the themes of our sermons uh, as we've looked at uh, this book on wisdom. The first thing that we learned so far is that your path will determine your destination. The road that you are on will determine where you end up. We talked about the fact that it's important to be on a path, um, but it's important to be on the right path. And so uh, last week we even talked about, I added a new term in on that, and that is the Jesus path. Following him, going his way, because the, the Bible tells us that that's the only way we can end up in a relationship with God in heaven. So, so uh, uh, if you're trying to get to heaven, and I hope you are. You had better be on the Jesus path because that's the only path that will take you all the way there. The second truth that we that we saw uh, that we that we learned about and talked about in our in our study is that life is really a series of mid course corrections. That as you go down the road in life, you will come to repeatedly come to forks in the road. Do I go this way? Do I go that way? Even the best of us can choose the wrong road from time to time. And when you realize you're on the wrong road, what do you do? You change direction. You go back to where you were, make that other decision, and you stay on course. In other words, you don't get this, uh, you don't get all of this because when you were nine years old in vacation Bible school, you prayed and asked Jesus Christ to come into your life, and you're never going to have forks in the road after that. But rather, there are constantly things and decisions and choices that we make, or maybe even that other people around us make, that affect us and cause us to, to need to make mid-course corrections. Then, la then the third thing that we did in our in our study. Um, was as we're following the courses of our life, you got to be careful that you don't trust your heart, what you think, what you feel, what you want, but instead you trust your heart to God. Again, as good as we may be and as much as we may know, we might make some choices because this is what I want or this is what I like or this is what I feel. That won't necessarily enhance your, your life. That won't get you closer or more solid on that Jesus path. So don't trust your heart what you want. Instead, trust your heart to God and, and do what he desires for you to do. The, uh, the, the fourth one um, that we talked about a couple of weeks ago was that wise people seek counsel and advice. Well, this is one that becomes hard for a lot of us. 
We think or we want to believe that we've figured things out. And uh, uh, it's hard for us to get advice and counsel. You know what I have learned from living now? For the past year, Sue and I have lived with our, with our children, uh, Nathan and Teresa, and with our grandchildren. I learn things every day from my grandchildren. When I can't get something on my phone, I can ask my eight-year-old granddaughter. She knows it. Now, that's not usually the way I do it. I usually just sit there and just keep pushing buttons until something gets locked out. But it's important for us to learn to take advice and counsel from people, especially from people around you that you know love you and want you to end up in the right place. So wise people ask for direction, ask for help. What do you think? And then they listen to the advice that they receive. Now, you've got to be careful. I also know this has to have a, another caveat to it, and that is that sometimes people will give you all sorts of advice that isn't necessarily good. So you've got to know, you've got to learn who it is to, to listen to. I mean, all you have to do is be in a room like this and tell people you think you're coming down with a cold, and you'll get 20 different uh, pieces of advice. You've got to learn what you need to take care of or what you need to listen to. But wise people listen to counsel and advice of people around them. And then last week, we talked about the lesson that we learned was that whatever it is in life that you pay attention to, that will determine the direction that your life goes. You can be on the path, but doing, doing things in such a way because you are focused on the wrong things. And you can miss a great deal of life down the path by being off over here on one of these side bunny trails. And so you have to learn what to focus your attention on. Not just what grabs your attention, but what it is you're willing to give your attention to. Now, today I want us to look at the fifth thing, the fifth principle that we need to learn. And I'm the title that I've given this one is Dealing with Unreachable Destinations. You see, we can get all of those other five things in our life, but here's the simple and the hard reality. All of the dreams in our lives don't come true. There are things that we might have wished for that we might have set as our goal, as our focus, and some of them don't come true. Have you ever noticed that about your life? We call it growing up, becoming mature, but still within each one, at least within me, there are still some of those things I used to dream about 30, 40, 50, or even longer years ago, that the simple reality is they haven't happened and here's the hard part of this. In many cases, they never will. And that becomes hard, isn't it? It's hard for me when I, when I know this is, this is the goal, the dream that I had in life, and it's just simply not going to happen. What do I do then? Well, that's what I want to teach you because disappointment chases a lot of people away from God. Hello, I may be talking to somebody in here Amen. that that's true of, that I, I become disappointed and I become 
downtrodden. I become sad and heartbroken because I really, really, really wanted this. And it was a good thing. But I don't have it and I don't understand it. I wanted to be married. Or I wanted to be married again. Or I wanted to have children. Or I wanted this job. Or I wanted that house. Or I wanted this life. And it's just not happening. It hasn't happened. What do I do? How do I keep going down the path when there is so much hurt along the way? Well, the Solomon, he writes to us in Proverbs chapter 13, verse 12. I will tell you, this is one of my favorite verses in all the Bible. And it's something that I've had to uh, pull out and out of my memory and out of the, the memorization in my heart uh, on numerous occasions when dreams didn't come through or when they didn't come through the way I thought they should. Proverbs 13, 12 says that uh, hope deferred. Something you have hoped for, longed for, dreamed for, but it's not coming about. Hope that is deferred makes the heart sick. I can tell you amen to that. But there's an important word that we're going to come back to a little bit later, and that's the word but. In the Bible, there are several verses that have the word but in them. And they usually follow a statement like, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire that is fulfilled is a tree of life. Now, let me just say this as you contemplate the verse that we just read. That as, uh, as we go through life, there are going to be some things that don't happen. There will be some things that don't happen in the time frame we think they should happen. There are some things that don't happen, or well, let me say that do happen, but they don't necessarily happen the way we thought they should happen. Or when they should happen, or how, or all of those things. But there are some truths about this in, in facing shattered, broken dreams in our life, unfulfilled dreams, hope deferred, that we need to, to understand today as we go through life. All right? So I want us to uh, uh, think about the verse uh, and I, that we just read out of Proverbs, hope deferred makes the heart sick. And I, I want to tell you four or five things, four or five points out of that, all right? The first is, when you are disappointed, when your dream is unreachable, the first thing, this is a truth, a principle, you get heart sick. And the, the level or the depth of that heart sickness is probably determined on the, on the, uh, the level of expectation of the, uh, of the dream. I mean, you, you, you expect something, the more you expect it, the more you long for it, the more you prepare for it, the harder it is on us when it doesn't happen, doesn't take place, the thing that we think it, the way that we think it should. As a 17-year-old boy, Joseph in the Bible, you know, in the Old Testament, in the book of Genesis, Joseph, we read his story, and, and he, he was known as, his, his nickname 
was the dreamer. He had very uh, deliberate dreams that he had expressed to other people, expectations, if you will. He had told his brother the day, the, his brothers, that the day would come when they would all bow down to him. He talked even about his father and his mother as, have, as being subservient to him. And he expected that dream to come true. But you know what happened? Things begin to happen in a series of events where Joseph, for instance, uh, was taken by force by his brothers and thrown into a well uh, with the intention of killing him. And they said, instead of killing him, you get nothing out of that except maybe 20 to life. And so why don't we sell him? We'll fake his death, sell him. And some slave traders just happened to come along, as all the stories in the Bible, just coincidentally, things happen. No, God's bringing these people along there and taking Joseph out of that pit and taking him to Egypt. Now remember, he's 17. And taking him to Egypt, where he is sold into slavery. That had to be his first Saturday morning in Egypt. Had to be an eye-opening experience, don't you think? This dreamer, who everyone was going to bow down to him, is now a slave in a foreign country. You usually don't come out of that. And he, he not only was a slave in Egypt, he worked for a high-ranking official, and that high-ranking official's wife accused him of sexually harassing her. And then he was thrown into prison, and he's going to spend three years in prison for something he didn't do. Do you see, I'm telling you this story because this had to make him heartsick. In fact, there's one verse. By the way, the Bible doesn't tell us anything negative about Joseph, except possibly one thing. And that was while he was in that three-year prison time. While he's, while he's in prison and he, and he has an encounter, he meets up with the, book, with the uh, baker and the butler. Remember? And they're, they're talking about this. And, and he's, the guy says, well, I, I had a dream last night. Uh, and it's, it's bothering me. And I, don't, I don't understand what it means. And so Joseph says, well, tell me I've, I'm familiar with dreamers. And he tells him the story, and he interprets the dream for him. And the, he's, he's set free. He's turned loose. And Joseph said, as the guy's getting out of prison, he says, tell them upstairs to get me out of here. He complained. If there's anything negative, that's about as far as it goes with Joseph. But the point that I'm making is he did not, he wasn't, he was heart sick. That's what happens to us when we become, uh, when we realize that our dream is unreachable. Now, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to suspend the story about Joseph for a little while because many of you are already ahead of me. Wait a second. Joseph's dream comes true. Now that's later. It hasn't yet. And it sure looks like it's not going to if you're Joseph. But we know that what happens is that Joseph 
is not only released from prison, he's released from prison to interpret a dream for Pharaoh, and Pharaoh is so impressed with him, he promotes him to be prime minister over Egypt and his number two man in all the empire. But that wasn't the way that he dreamed it. That wasn't the way that he imagined it. He became heartsick because that's what happens to us when we, uh, when we are, um, when our when our dreams are broken. Or what about Daniel? Daniel was about the same age as Joseph when Daniel was taken also to be slave in a cap captive land, captive in a foreign land, as the Babylon Babylonians came and took took Jerusalem. And Daniel was taken by force to a foreign country to live there the rest of his life. That had to be earth-shattering for him, wouldn't you think? I mean, I know that you've heard these stories so often that, that we forget that these are real-life stories with real-life people. But he, he was exiled in a foreign country. His heart must have been sick. So what will he do? Will he get bitter? Or will he do like Joseph did, get better? Or what about, what about King David? When he was king and his, uh, his newborn son was going to die, and he knew that and he understood that, how do you, how do you deal with that? Some of you have gone through that. You know the anguish of the death of your child. And that, uh, uh, how do you deal with that kind of disappointment? Well, I'll tell you, in all those cases, they all got heart sick. They all were heart sick. How about the Apostle Paul? We're going to read this story in a few minutes, but when the Apostle Paul finds that he has some sort of a physical ailment or disease that he called his thorn in the flesh, uh, we don't exactly know what that was, whether it was his eyesight or his, the condition of his knees or whatever. Some people um, uh, have, have even talked about it being something like epilepsy or something like that. Can you imagine being somebody who makes their living by doing what I'm doing, preaching in front of people, when at any moment you may fall down and have a seizure and be unable to communicate? That'd be, that'd be terrifying to carry around. But he, um, he had this disease, and three times he asked God to take it away from him. I think you can see, what would he do from that moment? You can ask that same question that you would ask Joseph and Daniel and David of the Apostle Paul. Are you going to get better, or are you going to get bitter? Then there's Jesus. Jesus himself, yes, the Son of God. The Bible says on the night before he was crucified that he went to the garden and he prayed about uh, the kind of death that he was facing. And he said, Father, if it's possible, take this cup from me. I, I really am not, I really don't want to do this. I mean, I don't want to go through all this. But nevertheless, not what I will, but you be, your will be done. Jesus, in that moment of that it was so intense that it says that he even sweated 
droplets of blood. That's intense. And so what's, what's going to happen is Jesus, remember he's God, he could have said, deals off. These people, they're on their own. I'm not going to go through all this. But he didn't. Rather, he submitted himself to the will of God. But I want you to see, to see that we are all susceptible to becoming heart sick when our hopes and our dreams are deferred. So we need to, to understand that um, in, our, in our lives so that we'll not, uh, uh, we'll not, be, um, we'll not be surprised. Sometimes we become down and discouraged because our dreams haven't come across like we thought they would. But that's the way it's supposed to work. In fact, I, I want to read to you a couple of verses that we, we already talked about here a moment ago. But out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, this is the Apostle Paul, who rather than becoming bitter, demonstrates for us how you can become better. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7 says, So to keep me from becoming conceited because of the surpassing greatness of the revelations. Let me say that what he's talking about there in the verses that precede this, he talks about having been brought up by God into the heavens, to have a vision of God's throne room. I've never, I've never had that privilege. I doubt anyone in this room has ever had that privilege. Or knows anyone personally that's ever had that privilege. And he, so he's talking about, uh, I'm, I'm one in a million. Spiritually, Paul would say. But to keep me from becoming conceited about that, uh, because of the greatness of these revelations, here's what God did. A thorn was given to me in the flesh. A messenger of Satan to harass me. To keep me from becoming conceited. Three times I pleaded with the Lord about it. That he should, that it should leave me. Now it doesn't say this in this verse, but I'll say three times God said no. This is not having visions and dreams of grandeur and heavenly places is a whole lot better dream whole lot better outcome than having this thorn in the flesh that is a constant reminder to him to keep him from becoming spiritually conceited so Paul had done some amazing things and had some amazing things happen in his life but his highs were really high and his lows were really low now you know what he did we'll, we'll talk about this in a moment but he did just what Jesus did. He chose that he was going to become better. So the first thing that happens to us when we, when we have, when we, uh, when our dreams are are uh, dashed, when our dreams are unreachable, is that we are heart sick. The second thing, what you need to do when your dream is unreachable, is you need to pray. Fervently. Pray fervently. You can pray about it. When your dream becomes squashed, when your hope is deferred, what can you do? Pray about it. 
I, I really think, and if you'll give me 10 seconds to preach to myself, okay, maybe, because this may not apply to you, it does to me. I waste a lot of time worrying about stuff that I could be praying about. I spend a lot of time telling God how things were supposed to turn out rather than talking to God and asking God, why? What's going on? What are you teaching me? If you will learn how to pray fervently, it may take do a great deal to, to going along with the understanding that, that God, that, that this, is, this is part of God's plan and God may have a bigger and better plan than what you dreamed about. The Apostle Paul, we, we read a moment ago out of, out of 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 7, verse 8. I want to read to you verse 9. Paul says, he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. You know, the, I, I really... I really believe that if Paul had not prayed about it, he wouldn't have learned that truth. But because he did pray fervently, he, I think that he discovered something that was better than what he expected to happen. Than what his dream was about anyway. It's great to have dreams of, of, of heaven and, and of that perfect paradise. It's another thing... And, and to, to live life longing for that and working toward that, that's good. But it's another thing to, di to have those things ahead of you, but also to learn how to handle life on this earth until you get there. That's a better deal. I know that I, when things are hard for me, I want God to take me out of the mess right now and just set me up over here, don't you? And I've got all the places, if God's confused about where he ought to have me land, I can tell you about every beach or every lake or every cabin or something like that that I've ever dreamed of. And God could, it would be all right if God took me out of this mess and sent me over here. But better is just to say, okay, you're going to end up over there, but I want to tell you how to navigate the waters until you get there. That's far, far more valuable. So uh, he prayed fervently. I, I need to move on. Third thing that he that that we discover that we that we learn from the book of parables. By the way, well, go ahead. We need to uh, uh, pray fervently. We need to listen for God's voice as we pray fervently. I want you to understand what the word fervently means. It, what it doesn't mean. It does not mean to become animated in your instructions to God about the way things ought to be. Hello? Aren't we pretty good about telling God how he ought to do his business? And we, we praying fervently does not mean to tell him how to do his business more loudly or more, more intently. It means to honestly, truthfully be, uh, be open to what God wants to do. To really mean it with your heart. But while you're doing that, have an ear to hear what God might say. 
Remember when, uh, uh, I think it was Elijah that was on the mountain and, and God's, or maybe it was Moses, God's spirit passed by <clears throat> and, and there was thunder and lightning, but God wasn't in the thunder and lightning. There was wind and there was shaking and all, but God wasn't in that. But then God was in that still, small voice. I wonder how many times I've missed the still, small voice because I was too active. I wonder how many times I've missed the still small voice because I was shouting and I was focused on something other than that. Learn to listen. Learn to listen for God's voice. Remember what we just read a moment ago about, about Paul and, and telling God three times take this thing from me. Three times God said no. In verse 9, uh, that we read part of a moment ago uh, where it says that he said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. And then in verse, uh, in verse, uh, lost my notes here. But he goes on and he says that, uh, therefore I will glory in my weakness. Because when I'm weak, he's strong. He's strong in me, and he's strong through me. You know where Paul learned that? From that, listen, from that still, small voice when he listened to God. Fourth, fourth truth that we need to know about when our dreams are, are, uh, are, are dashed, when our hope is deferred, is that we need to... Uh, accept the reality and, the, and, the, and look for the good in something. Accept the reality and look for the good in something. There, this is practical stuff here, okay? So bear with me. When our dreams are dashed, when our hopes are deferred, there comes a time when we have to face facts. That's not gonna happen. See, when I was in seminary, my expectation was that one day I would be the pastor of the First Baptist Church in Dallas. I don't think Robert Jeffers is gonna get out there. I have, and I, I mean, I know that wasn't a real deep dream, but it, but it was a dream. It was something that I always wanted I mean I've gotten over it right? I'd rather be here than there except on payday <laughs> but I, I'm just saying that, that there comes a time when you can't live your life expecting what's not going to happen when you know it's not going to happen and when we can come to the place where we can where we can Accept the reality, then we can look for the good in all of that. The good in that reality. That's when uh, uh, the Apostle Paul says, "My, uh, uh, when getting the word from God, my grace is sufficient for you, for my power is made perfect in weakness. Therefore, I'll boast more gladly of my weaknesses, so that the power of Christ may rest upon me. And listen to verse 10. For the sake of Christ, then, I am content 
with weaknesses, with insults, hardships, and persecutions and calamities. For when I'm weak, then I'm strong. I'm not sure he would have ever known all of that. Because it's not a theoretical Sunday school principle about when I'm weak, I'm made strong. He had to go through it. He had to lose the, had the hope deferred of having this thorn in the flesh, whatever that was, removed from him. And he has to, uh, he has to understand the truth that comes from, from realizing that that's not going to happen is that I have learned when I am weak, that's when I'm strong. And I'm strong because, that, because God's grace is sufficient for me and it takes over. Look for the good in, in, that, uh, in having your dreams dashed. Let me tell you the fifth thing. I've started to say the last thing, but I think I've got one more in a moment. But this one is, once you've learned that your dream is dashed, your hope is deferred, you can accept it and you can, you can look for the, the good to come from it. Use that for God's glory. Use it for God's glory. You see, you know what Paul did with his thorn in the flesh story? He told everybody. There have been times in my life, I don't know about you, but there have been times in my life when I have used that story for handling some of the thorns in my flesh. I'm really glad that, uh, that God in his word did not choose to tell us what the thorn in the flesh was. Because if we'd known that, and the thorn in the flesh comes along on us, we'd say, well, this doesn't apply, that's only if if you're this or if you're that. But because I don't know what the thorn in the flesh is, no matter what mine is, I can take that principle and apply it into my life. It is used then for God's glory. Because God, God is made bigger. God is made, uh, is made more manifest when he gives God the glory for what God has done and is doing uh, in his life. In, uh, in Matthew chapter 26, I, I mentioned this uh, earlier in the message, how Jesus had to, uh, had to deal with the fact that he didn't really, I mean, as a man, wasn't looking forward necessarily to enduring what was on the cross. Spiritually, he did. He understood theologically the importance of it. But it was a hard thing for him because he asked God to take it from him. In fact, in Matthew chapter 26, verse 39, while he's in the garden of Gethsemane the night before, he says, My father, if it's possible, let this cup pass from me. Nevertheless, that's, a, that's the same word. That's a similar word to the three-letter word, but... Nevertheless, if it's possible to do this, but nevertheless, not as I will, but as you will. And then three verses later, verse 42, here's what Jesus says then. Again, the second time, he went away and he prayed, My father, if this cannot pass until I drink it, your will be done. 
I don't, I, I don't necessarily enjoy having the hope deferred, but I do understand and I do know that you have something better because of the choice, the, the, the direction that you, you're doing in my life. So I just want to, I want to be, I want to submit myself to your will. Now I told you there was going to be one more and I was going to mention it quickly because it fits right here at this point. And that is once I have, uh, have done, determined that I'm going to make my decisions based on what will bring God to glory, here's what you have to do. Start looking for God to do something even better. When God, here's the, one of the ways that it's said in today's world. When God closes a door, he opens a window. Maybe that, I don't know that that's always true. But the, the idea is that sometimes God says to me, no, for this dream, that, this expectation, this hope that I have. And I, when he does that, I get real sad. Do you? Because I get heartbroken. And I, 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 but my way of getting sad is kind of includes usually some of these. Why is this happening to me? I, oh, so-and-so over there, they're not any better than me, but they're getting this. Why don't I get it? That's the way I do. I can be a tantrum Christian pretty easily. And and so I can lose up, I can lose on my dream and I can give up on God even. Or I can become better by saying, okay, God, what do you have for me? If you've taken this dream away, do you have another one? You know what you'll discover? God always has something better after his no in your life. There's always something better. It may not be immediate. It may not be realized for a long time. But he is working to bring about better in your life. That's what it tells us in Romans 8, 28. That all things work together for good to those who love the Lord. Those who are called according to his purpose. He has plans and purposes and dreams for you that you can't even begin to imagine the scriptures tell us. Sometimes our problem is we're going the wrong direction down the path or we got... Chase, our attention's got turned off over here and we're chasing the wrong thing. And God says, nope, you're not going to go that way. You're going to go this way because I've got something better. May I tell you a, a story um, about my life? When I was, when I was younger, for nine, nine plus years, you may not know this about me, but for nine plus years, I worked at Armco used to be Armco Steel, or those of you who are really old, Sheffield Steel, and I worked for Armco. Um, but it was during these, these years, I was in my 20s, and, and it was during that time when God was working on my heart to pursue his plan for me in the ministry. Uh, I was invited to be a part of Armco's, um, I don't know what they call sales training program, to become a sales representative for them. And at least at that time, that was kind of where the money was. So that was a dream that I had. But while I'm, I'm, I'm asking God to give me this sales position, because it paid 30000 a year. Back then, it was a lot. You know, 
still fully and too bad. But uh, I, I wanted that, and I wanted God to give it to me, but God said no. And he, he, he laid before me instead the opportunity to follow him in ministry. Now, let me tell you something, and I'm not saying this in any way to complain, but ministry is not the career path you want to take if you're looking for a career that's going to make you lots of money. Okay. In fact, if you do well in the ministry and you make lots of money, a lot of people put that down. If you, if you write a book and sell that, and sell that book like Rick Warren did, on, you know, uh, and he became a millionaire because of the number, the sheer volumes of books, people begin to hurl stones and cast all sorts of dispersions, those kinds of things. So I was doing everything that I could to train for this program that I know that God kept telling me no to, but I kept going for it. I would go to school. Uh, I, I was in school at night. I took some courses at the junior college uh, to help me out with this program. And one Sunday night, that was back in the day when churches had Sunday night services. One Sunday night, I, Sue and I had talked about it. I'm going to cut out a lot of the story right here, but Sue and I had talked about it. And we determined that we were going to follow God in the ministry. That Sunday night, I went forward and I made that public felt really good about this. The next morning, I went in to work. They called us and asked us to come to work early. They needed to make, 30 minutes early, they needed to make an announcement. And I thought, well, I'm going to make an announcement while I'm there that I'm going to be resigning because I'm going to be following Jesus Christ. When I got there, I found out they told us that they were closing our department down and that people were going to be laid off. And I thought, well, this didn't fit into the plan the way I thought it would. So I went to my supervisor and I said, I want to be one of the people to get laid off. I'm going to be laid off. And he says, don't worry. All of us are going to be, are going to be a part of this. They're closing the wire mill. They're closing the merchant wire department down. So um, I, we, we left the employment there. I, I, uh, I went on unemployment. And uh, uh, for X number of months, I don't remember how long it was, I was on unemployment. I had to drive out to Independence to the unemployment office every week, had to apply at X number of places, all that kind of thing. Um, and as I was driving along on 23rd Street one day, I was going west, going back home. It was in the afternoon, late afternoon, and I was driving and the sun was out. You know how oftentimes it is. And the sun was there and it kind of was hard to see and I came up over a hill, there was a car stopped in front of me and I couldn't stop and I ran into the rear end. I got a ticket I had to pay for and uh, it, it ended up costing me, I still remember this, $278. When you don't have a job, that's a lot of money. And I couldn't say, wait till I get a job in the ministry because then I'll have lots and I can pay it back. Uh, I just thought, what am I going to do? We don't have it. We don't have this. And I, I Went to God and prayed, nothing, nothing, nothing. The day before I had to make a payment for this event, for the, the cost, for this fine that I had, I happened to be down at, the, down at the credit union, and I was going to ask them if I could have a loan for $278. Uh, 
And they, they asked, you know, they, we went through the paperwork and they said, well, wait a second, I think we've got something for you here. And they went through the file and they found, they said, you remember when you were in school last semester? Yeah, but I was laid off. Yeah, but you got your, your paperwork in before you were laid off. They, have, they are reimbursing you for the amount of money that you paid for your schooling. I said, oh, well, that's cool. It was $278 <laughs> to the penny. And I remember going out of that check with that, out of that door with that check to pay that, that as I got out in my car and I looked at that, that God spoke to me and he said, see, I told you I would take care of you. And it's, it's a better story for me to, to have it this way than if it had happened the way that I wanted. God gets the glory for it. And he did something better than I ever imagined him doing. That's what he does with our hope that becomes deferred. We want it to, to uh, uh, we want it to be, you know, to all work out where it's all, popcorn and cotton candy and hallelujahs, but it doesn't always work that way. But God makes it good. Jesus said, and I say this in closing, in the world that, in the world that you live in, you will have tribulation. But be of good cheer, I've overcome the world. I mentioned this earlier in the message that the word but is one of the most important words in all the Bible. In this world, you will have trouble. But here's the truth. I'm not headed for another place in this world. Where heaven is, is out of this world. And in that place, I will have all the dream that God has given to me. Another verse that says that pretty similarly is Proverbs 13, 12. Hope deferred makes the heart sick. But hope that it, a desire that is fulfilled is a tree of life. Or Romans 8, 28, and we know that for those who love God, all things work together for good. For those who are called according to his purpose. That's truth. So your, your hopes might be dashed. Your dreams might be, might be lost and unreachable. Your hope may be deferred. But God. Bow your hands with me if you will, please. In these next few moments, I want you to think about all the ways that God has, has blessed you. I want you to think about all the ways that you have had your dreams dashed and your hope deferred. But yet how God has seen you through and taken you to a better place. Right now, there may be somebody here who's living in the depths of heartbreak. Because that's what happens to us when our hopes are deferred. And that may be you today. You may have that, uh, that sense, that feeling, that, that overwhelming thing controlling your life. 
Today, I just want you just to hear me say, but God, but God. Jesus said, I, I've overcome this world. So join in with him. Even though you may be heartbreaking and hurting, if you'll come to him in that hurt, in that heartbreak, he will restore you. Not necessarily the dream, but you. So in these next few moments as we sing, I just pray that it would be a time where you'd say, God, my heart hurts, my heart's been breaking, I've been disappointed, but God, I want to do your will, follow your way. I ask you to make those kinds of commitments as we sing. Heavenly Father, I pray that, that right now your Holy Spirit might speak to each one, each person. Show us how how you, the dreams and the plans that you have for us are bigger than the dreams and the plans that you take away from us. In the name of Jesus, I ask these things. Amen.